mindfulness mode, 427. She came in the first session, she goes, I have a beautiful marriage. I, I love my husband very, very much. She goes, I have three beautiful children, a beautiful home. And then she just starts crying. Hey, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator of the Mindfulness Mode podcast. Hey, Mindful Tribe, it's great to have you with us again today. I mentioned last time that I'm putting together a group of like-minded people like you and me to form a mindfulness membership group, a kind of community, a kind of mindful tribe, mindfulness uh, group, you know what I mean? I've been asking people how you can benefit from being in this group. What do you think? What do you think your best benefits would be? Because I want to hear from you. I want to create the group so that it fits you and your needs and your desires. Some of you have said you'd like guided meditations by me. Some of you have said, you know, a live monthly call, uh, different kinds of ideas like mindfulness tips and and uh, I mentioned to somebody about doing original music I could put in there. Well, I'd love to hear from you. I really would. And I'm going to ask you a huge favor. Would you complete a quick five-question survey for me about what kinds of benefits you'd like to receive from being in the group? Now, this is just a very quick, very easy survey. And I'll send out a free Mindfulness Mode t-shirt to the first five people who complete the survey to uh to get to the survey you go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash mm survey that's mindfulnessmode.com slash mm survey now listen to the very end of today's uh interview because i have a free report available for you telling you all about the top books suggested on the mindfulness mode podcast so uh, listen right to the end. My guest today, Mindful Tribe, is an expert on attachment theory. His book is called Safe to Love Again. I have to be honest, when I started reading the book, I thought, well, you know, this book is interesting, but it, it's not really going to speak to me. You know, I'm, I'm happily married. I've got great relationships in my life. But wow, I was wrong. Once I started reading the book, I was completely intrigued at how a majority of people can have struggles and, and challenges in their lives. And this is explained so clearly in the book that a lot of these struggles that people have are connected to attachment theory. And I couldn't wait to talk to the brilliant author of this book. And it just seemed like such a gift that I was able to spend that time talking to him. So now it's a gift for you to hear our conversation. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview with Dr. Gary Salyer. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we're here today to talk about attachment. And we're going to talk a lot more about different things related to attachment, but I'm here with an expert, Dr. Gary Salyer. And Dr. Gary, it's so exciting to have you here. Are you in mindfulness mode today? I am in mindfulness mode, Bruce. <laughs> I, I am happy to be here. That's great. It's on my mind all morning. <laughs> Was it? Well, so are you. And I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe first. Dr. Gary Salyer is an expert in attachment theory. And through that expertise, he helps people understand how their brains are causing their life 
experiences. He's developed a theory of how people create loving relationships and sometimes how they don't. He's studied under some of the most brilliant minds in the relationship field, including Drs. John and Julie Gottman, Daniel Siegel, Terry Reel, and so many others. He's the author of a fantastic new book called Safe to Love Again, and it's really great. And I've been reading this book the last uh, few days, and wow, powerful. He's the creator of the Safe to Love Again workshop, as well as the Extraordinary Couples and Extraordinary Singles Retreat as well. So, Dr. Saylor, let's start with mindfulness. What does okay. mindfulness mean to you? Well, mindfulness to me is most of all about centering yourself in your body and getting and and really training your brain to be at peace, to be internally and externally aware while calming your brain. Um, that's that's how it is in, in my life. Um, it, it allows me to sleep better. I mean, if I've had a long day where my brain is going. If uh, I will, even if I meditated early in the day, I will meditate for 10 or 15 minutes just so my brain calms. So I, and I get better sleep that way. And it's and a calm brain is a, be, is a more loving brain, it turns out. So it's all that and more. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. You begin in your book by telling us from the perspective of neuroscience and relationship science that your brain creates all of your experience. So tell us, let's start there. Tell our listeners how this happens. Well, I think the best way is to tell one of the stories I tell in the book. Uh, and that's the, uh, and he's named Paul. Uh, Paul came to me, uh, a guy who'd been in a family that uh, everybody had what would be called secure, loving relationship. Mom and dad were world-class parents and brother and sister married 20 and 25 years. He, on the other hand, had two divorces, always anxious. The phrase was, when will love turn against me? And after always worrying about that, two women said, I'm tired of being mistrusted for no good reason. And he even said, I created my worst nightmare. And we were looking for when did his brain learn that love would turn against him? Because the, the enigma in the family was, how could this have happened in a family where so many people were so securely loving, right? Well, it turns out there was one incident when he was four. And when he was four, he and his family went camp. And they were a campfire. They were camping. And his what he says is, and dad turned against me. He grabbed me for no good reason, started to beat on me. And he never did it before, never did it, but my father turned and beat on me. And and from that point on, I've been waiting for one just love turn against me. Well, the interesting, that's what I had to work with from his feelings. One little moment with this. But then when his brother and him come to one of my workshops, brother's there to just support him, he shares that same story to everybody in the group. And, but, and his brother's jaw is just dropping. And I'm going, wow, what an interesting reaction from the older brother. And he breaks in and says, Paul, that's, that's why you're so screwed up? This is why your divorce says you got it all wrong. He says, dad wasn't turning on you. Dad wasn't beating on you. You got too close to the fire. Your pant legs caught on fire. He was trying to keep you from being a marshmallow. The brain can take anything uh, at four and five, these illogical things, and it will simply generalize. It's kind of a crapshoot. But at some point in time, it's taking the best deal available. It takes early experience and says, is, is this safe? If it isn't safe, then it finds a way. And it will restrict its like a right to, 
to reach out for its needs if it's not safe reaching out or a right to assert if it's not safe to, to speak your truth. And it always takes the best deal. And sometimes it's not so logical. Yeah, that's for sure. And that was a great story in the book. It made it so clear and easy to understand what you were talking yeah. about. You say that we're wired for love in three sure. primary ways. Would you share those? Yeah, well, we're wired for love. We come with them naturally, okay? We just come with them. Uh, we were born with the right, okay? And then we were born with a right for expectant behavior. Our brain expects to be treated in certain ways, okay? So we come expecting to be hugged. We come expecting to, to be uh, uh, warmly greeted and things like that, to, you know. Um, and then we also, uh, we have... Uh, experience that we learn from, well, that may not always be so attuned. So these three things, we come with internal wiring that's preset for love. So anybody says, you know, I want to be a marble mate. That's not how we came out. That's not the factory settings. Right. And we come expecting certain secure things, but we all, the brain knew not everybody gets involved with optimal conditions. And then there's the secondary protocol. Those three ways are essentially how our brain gets wired for love one way or the other. Right. And it seems that so much of this happens up to the age of three, right? Between six yes. months and three years old. Yes. And the way the brain decides about that <clears throat> is by one year old, we can tell whether a child uh, has a, a, it's an attachment style. So I call it a love style. So based on early experience, as early as one, you can tell whether a child is what's called securely attached. Securely attached means I'm giving and I'm receiving love. And I feel good depending on somebody and being dependent on. They're calm. They don't get into reactive modes, right? Uh, they're in a flow experience with relationships. But not everybody gets a loving experience. And, those, and, that, and so that secondary protocol I talked about, there's two other styles. One is called anxious. That's when there was intermittent uh, response to their needs in a tune way, and sometimes there, sometimes not. And some part says, well, I'm going to fight to lock it down, and you get a lot of anxiousness and drama. And these are the, you know, the drama kings and queens of the world. And they're anxious, and their phrase is, when is love going to turn on me? Where did you text me? How long are you going to be gone? You know, why didn't you call me? That sort. Paul was in that category. Then there's the other response, which is called avoidant. And the avoidance, they never had a secure uh, connection. Mom was either, you know, not there, didn't want them, or after they, maybe they had a, a, a bond, and then when they got to be a toddler, mom said, oh, no, no, go over there, no, no, go over there. I can finally have some rest over here, <clears throat> right. right? And they get this feeling, I need to separate. Her mom's never going to be there. I'm not going to. So they do a fight response, and they become very dismissive of their emotions, and or or they're very afraid of being in a relationship. So they just put out their, you know, their hand out and they're doing a kind of an NFL running back approach to, to love. So you get these three standard ways people are wired, secure, anxious, and avoiding, all based on what was really early experience. And I can guarantee you, if anybody thinks they're anxious and avoidant and some part of me is wrong, I can guarantee you that at the time your brain took that decision, it was the best deal available. So we honor that part. We just want to give it a better deal. So how do we reverse some of these, these ideas that are embedded into our brains? Well, uh, they're not so much ideas as they just are feelings. Right. Uh, 
our attachment styles, for the most part, unless something really horrible happens later, and I've had clients that that's been the case, but especially by one to three years, certainly by seven, this attachment style is all set up and running. By one, you can do a test and see how a child is attached. Now, at one, as anybody knows, the, the uh, neuroscience knows the prefrontal cortex that's at the front of you that says, hi, you know, I'm Bruce, I'm Gary, I'm the, uh, whoever your name is out there in listener land. Um, that part doesn't come on till three. So that's, there's no story. There's no words at that time. There's no beliefs. Anybody ever told you limiting beliefs is running the show? No, 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 no. Those are all explanations of what's already been put in the hopper. Feelings. Four feelings is what I argue in the book. Did you get the feeling of welcomed with joy? Oh, so glad you're here. Worthy and nourished to reach out for your needs. That when you reach out, the world, you know, your parents and your loved ones reach back. You're worthy. Cherished and protected. That's just a feeling. I get to be me, but in a we. I get to have support. So it's not the Marlboro person out there on a rock. You get to be a me, not enmeshed, but in a beautiful we. And then um, there's empowered with choice, which means I get to, I get to create my own experience. You don't have to create yours or somebody else's. And I'm good with all of me, good and bad, weak and strong. And then a right to assert. If you have those feelings, I'm welcomed worthy, cherished, and empowered as your feelings that were put deep in your brain, your brain will then use them as reference feelings to choose, create, and maintain relationships. So the key is to make sure to replace, if you are running unwelcomed, with welcomed, unworthy with worthy, uncherished with cherished, and disempowered with empowered. If you can feel these four secure feelings deep in your brain and your body, uh, your brain will automatically do things differently. Right. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, like you said, if they're not given a full welcome into life, babies will learn to feel unwelcomed as though they're not special and all of these will, will happen. Now, you talk about how we mirror what we are and we bring people toward us based on what has been created in our own minds. Can you expand on that? Sure. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, I told in the book of you that I wasn't exactly welcomed with joy. Yes. Uh, it was a borderline uh, mentally ill and she really wanted a girl. And the real story is that, you know, uh, that she didn't name me for three weeks. Uh, the state of Ohio sent some state troopers to the house, I guess, my Aunt Evelyn tells me this story, uh, and said, ma'am, you need to name the baby. And she goes, no, I refuse to, because she was so disappointed. And they said, well, you either name him, or we can find a place where you can sit for a while, <laughs> mm. and you can figure it out. And my, uh, my aunt suggested, two of her favorite movie stars, so Gary Cooper and Dean Martin. Uh. <laughs> now, with that feeling, uh, it was, since I felt so unwelcomed, it was way better to be by myself. You know, I, who wants to be uh, in the vicinity of someone who's truly not welcoming? So I always found a way to give the feeling of unwelcome and didn't realize I wasn't as attentive as I can be now. And my first wife felt very lonely because there was a part of me that was always into getting the PhD, the next great idea, instead of the next great connection. Right. Because it was, better, it was better to be connected to ideas 
than to real people. And that pattern was deadly for my first marriage. And then what about your second marriage? Was it a different problem then? Well, you know, I hadn't done the work. And so now I found someone who was very avoiding herself and would give me back the feeling. I had done some therapy, <clears throat> like 10 years. Right. And I wasn't doing the same thing. But she was a very distant woman. I And the tricky was, even though she was almost opposite my first wife, she had one thing. She was the one giving the distance. Because the feeling of unwelcomed, I had learned to survive. And some part of my brain says, okay, I know what to do with this. This is familiar. This feels safe. Mm -hmm. And until I, I gave myself the feeling of welcome, then every person, every relationship, I either gave it and sabotaged it or I found someone to give it back. That's how it works. Because your brain has to, either you give it or you receive it. And it doesn't matter <laughs> until you swap it out. The same happens with with worthy, if you if you were born with unworthy, and a lot of women re, uh, listeners are going to reverberate with this one a little more, resonate with it, um, you're probably out there giving and giving and giving until you're exhausted and, and resentful, you know. And you'll and if you have that feeling of unworthy, then you'll find a taker, guaranteed a taker, you know. And then you'll wonder well, why are all the men the same? <laughs> mm -hmm. Why all men are takers? And it's no, just all men your brain feels comfortable with attracting you to. <laughs> And that's the rub in the in the in the thing. Well, you uh, you told us a story about how one of your professors told you that there was 90 percent chance that you would go through a divorce. And how did that make you feel? Oh my God! Uh, you know, I went to college. I mean, I grew up in a, in a family where there were seven generations that nobody graduated from high school. That's not in the book. And from the time I was seven, I said, "I'm going to go to college." Right. And everything was I looked at this very painful, miserable family and I said, I, I don't want to go down that road, whatever it takes. So I went the opposite direction. So when I get to college, I'm, I'm like, OK, I'm here. I am going to make sure whatever they did, I'm, I'm going to find out what it is. So I was a psych degree and, you know, I was in a religion department. I had two majors and my senior year, the my favorite psychology professor, Dole Farman, calls me in and says, uh, hey, I want you to do this test. And I do this test. And he comes in and says, uh, Gary, you did this and this and this and this. He says, oh, this is your strength. You got a few weeks. And oh, by the way, you got a 90% chance of being divorced. Well, I was floored. I mean, grenades going off in my head. What do you mean after four years? So I literally went into the, the dean's office, delayed graduation for a year and went back and did in fifth year studying marriage and family and said, boy, I dodged that bullet. And so 12 years later, with all this, you know, there's therapy and all that, when she said I wanted a divorce, I, it was the most bone crushing moment of my life because it, I wasn't one of those guys that didn't do the work. I worked and worked and studied and it still tracked me down. And um, there were a few moments where me and the universe went round and round. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll just put it that way. I wasn't exactly real mindful at that time, but um, it was bone crushing. It felt like, what, how did this happen? You know? And so when a lot of clients come to me and they're having that, what happened to my life? You know, I can have real empathy with them because I kind of have an idea what happened <laughs> and we all came by it naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, 
yeah, I can I can relate. My ex-wife and I, wow, that was that's a story in itself, you know, when she she decided that she didn't want to be married to me anymore and I was just so incredibly devastated. Um, you talk about creating protections against missing rights by creating false selves. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Okay. Yeah. So you get this kid, you know, who's being wounded from some missing rights. Now, every kid is smart enough to come up with an adaption, right? You get this adapted kid, all right? And this adapted kid is he's there to protect the wounded kid, <laughs> right? Now, for me, uh, it was, I didn't get a lot of rights to belong either. So I was always playing in my room. How can I make sure I keep out of a, of a, of a relationship? The safe, when you've got a violent mother, you don't want to be a part of the week. No. We is not safe. You could get yourself smacked against the wall that way. So some part was always pulling. Distance feels good. This, and so there's some part that was always pulling into my ideas, never emotionally connecting, and I would get close and then pull away. Well, that pattern left, you know, that was just my adaptive child. And when that adaptive child gets in a, a really good relationship, it, it kind of says, well, remember the last time we were in a relationship? And it pulls away. This is why I believe my first wife really felt lonely. Because I pulled away. It was an old safety patterning. And, of course, she got into her safety patternings, too. And pretty soon, most couple fights are the safety patternings, the, the adaptive patternings of two five-year-olds going after it, protecting I call it dueling rights. So, you know, if one person doesn't have a right to belong, the other person, and say the other person, the other mate doesn't have a right to uh, to be empowered, they will circle back. When she, when she doesn't belong, she'll attack him, and then he won't feel empowered. When he's empowered, she won't. He will do something. He pulls back, and then she doesn't belong. And then the more he pulls back, you know, it becomes circular. And the key for helping couples is to help them, to give them back a full right so he can feel empowered in this instance, she can feel belonging, and then to give them better skills so that they don't have to have this dueling pattern. And most couple fights are five-year-olds going at it. Right, right. So that's what happened with your two marriages. And then you didn't really talk about a third very much. Did you get married Uh, a third time? Uh, no, no, I'm. I am looking for her. Okay, Chris. I wasn't sure about that. I am looking for her. Uh, I am not lonely, and I am looking for Ms. Wright. You know, and to be honest, the last you know year, year and a half, I put my emphasis on the book because I, I really felt it was my life's purpose, and now it's about creating the, the love that, uh, that actually I wrote about in the the book. You know, um, so uh, it's about getting it right. Well, this book is going to help so many people safe to love again. And it isn't just about relationships, because as you pointed out, so many times if you're struggling in your relationship, it it sort of bleeds over into your your business life. Or if you're an entrepreneur, it can affect that. Uh, yes. Let's talk about that. How How is that connected? One of the things I began to notice early on um, every woman, I have a lot of clients, but every woman that came to me with a business who was an entrepreneur got a better business. Uh, the, one of the very, very first clients I ever worked with, she had a missing right to have an AIDS man. This meant her boyfriends were either takers 
or they were married and couldn't meet <laughs> for mm -hmm. needs. That's the other way of not getting your needs met, right? And uh, so when we worked on that, gave her back a full right to have her needs met, and she felt worthy. She got out of a really bad relationship and soon found a man that was a wonderful, supportive giver uh, and was not married, thank God, <laughs> right? And then we, we were continuing on, and she says, you know, I, my, my roommate's a taker. Do you think that has anything to do with this? Sure enough. Oh, yeah. So she changes roommates out. And then she comes in after about three months and says, hey, I, I have a hard time getting my needs met in my business. I'm always giving away freebies, I'm always, and, or I can't charge my, my value. Do you think that's got anything to do with this? It sounds like, it feels like my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend. And I go, bingo, Yahtzee. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so she starts charging more. Working on her love template, see, the brain takes that same feeling, just swaps it out for everything else. So that's why I write in the book, love is the operating system. It's not one little program and another business and, and life is another. They're, it's all coming off these love templates, as I call them, these rights. So, and that's not the only time that's happened. I once had four entrepreneurial women who were seven figures. They, they were high-earning women. So the right to have their needs met was not it. However, all of them had a missing, they had more right to be separate than to belong. It was kind of a split right. That's another a right to separate and belong. You had to be me and a we. But all their boyfriends were not very supportive, which meant that if they moved, the guy would go on vacation for a week and come back when the move was over. Leave them high and dry. So they swap out and they get better boyfriends. Interestingly enough, all of them had problems with their staff. They hired staff that would flake on them in the middle of a big project or a launch, go on vacation, just like the boyfriends. And they all said, do you think there's a relationship here? Yes. They all swapped out their staffs and got a better business. In this instance, they, they were no longer doing management uh, control for crisis because staff took off. That's how this works. Every one of these rights will affect business. I could go on to that if you're interested. Well, and I think the thing that makes the book so easy to read is that you you do share so many of these stories. I mean, some of this is kind of complex, like getting your head around it if you've never thought about these concepts before. You know, different times I had to put the book down and think about these things and then read some more. <laughs> but then you'd share a story which would explain exactly what you were talking about. And it made the book so uh, so reachable. It was it was a great way to connect. And you talked about Sabrina. Tell us about Sabrina. Well, oh, Sabrina was that. Yeah, that was an interest. This is about the right to love and be loved. Yes. Uh, and Sabrina was a wonderful woman, you know, late 30s, as I remember, and professional, professional uh, and um, master's degree. And she came in the first session. She goes, I have a beautiful marriage. I, I love my husband very, very much. She goes, I have three beautiful children, a, a beautiful home. And then she just starts crying. Uh, she goes, but if I don't get in control of this, I'm going to lose it all. She goes, I, she goes, it's, I just can't have, I just can't let it loose with him in bed. She goes, I just can't enjoy him. And as a result, I've been having an affair for maybe a week or two. Every six months, 
with uh, from the beginning. And she goes, and if he ever finds out, it'll ruin everything. She goes, and it's not that it's he's the problem. He's a wonderful man. He would give me anything I wanted that I just can't enjoy him. Now you got to remember the word is enjoy. Right. Okay. I can't let it loose with him. I can only let it loose with these men that don't mean anything. Can you help me? Well, we try to enjoy. When she was three and four, her mother and father were in a bit of a, uh, they weren't in a very close relationship. So dad sort of naturally got more of his emotional needs met through his daughter. So she was a daddy's girl. Nothing inappropriate sexually at all. Just, and what happened was he signed her up for some beauty pageants, got her a pretty red dress. And when she, and mommy noticed that she had the relationship with daddy that she wanted. She wasn't as close, so she got jealous. And when she came back from the pageant, a mom said these words, did you enjoy daddy? Did you enjoy daddy? Every time she went to a pageant with daddy, the words were, I can't enjoy a man that loves me. The right to love and be loved, which includes both partnership and passion, got split. If I enjoy a man, I lose, my, I, I lose the love of mommy. Now, that template was set in early. And then when we reset that, you know, then we brought in her husband for an update. And his first words were, what did you do to my wife? <laughs> you know, because things were very different. He says, I've never met this woman in bed. <laughs> wow, wow. And, we, and then she wanted to let him know what had happened. And I have to say, at first he was hurt. And he was every, he, but he said, he said, what was really wonderful, he looked at me and he says, this makes sense. I always knew from the look in her eyes that there was such sadness and I never understood where it came from. And the last thing, I was there walking out the door, we had it all patched up. She, he turned about 10 feet out and said, thank you. I'm looking forward to the next 15. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. It is. But the little one took the best deal of all of them. In that instance, do you want, if you enjoy daddy, then you lose mommy. Is that a, is that that's not a good deal? That's no. so so if you pull back and don't enjoy daddy, you keep daddy and mommy. That's she her brain just took the best deal available. If you're listening out there, don't make yourself wrong. You know, just remember that your brain is working hard to try to keep you on the planet with this missing right, and it just needs an upgrade. You know, it's a, and that's what all this work is. Safe to love it is just giving you back all your, you know, your your natural rights to to exist, to have your needs met, to be a we, to create your experience, to assert your truth, and have your wins in life, and to love and be loved. If you have those full rights, then you naturally feel good in a relationship, and you create lasting. And lasting is what we all want. Yeah. And I love how you make it so easy to understand because you say it's, it's like your brain gets a series of permission slips from early relationships as to what kinds of loving experiences are allowable for you. And then you say the best way to attract your soulmate or to improve your relationship is then to upgrade your rights. And, you know, so that your brain has that full set of permission slips to create the love you, you deserve. And so the way you explain it makes it easy to understand. You know, I, I worked a lot with clients to, 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 get, this, to get this right. Uh, in fact, 
years ago, back a long time ago, John Gray, I had a conversation and my guy wrote Metamorph Women for Venus. Yeah. And he said, don't write. He says, you have a great theory, Kerry. He says, but mark my words, nobody cares about a great theory. They will don't write it until you have great stories and you know how to talk about the theory in very simple ways. Because people will remember your stories like you do. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Way before they re remember your theory, you know. And I am grateful to John for that. And I've and I've really worked at communicating this. I mean, it's like if I were to say, Bruce, I'm going to give you a, a set of really nice uh, tickets so you can take a vacation on a really nice cruise with over in Italy. And you don't have a passport. You don't have the right to go there. Are you going to go? Well, I can't go. No, you can't go. You're stuck. Yeah. And we are always having the experience our brain has permission for, has the rights for, as I put it. Yeah. Uh, and when we upgrade rights, then we stop having Groundhog Day. Because when somebody says, I keep picking the same person over and over and over like it's Groundhog Day, I can guarantee you they only have rights for that experience. The moment it upgrades, it goes differently. I just worked with a client who um, she was had a very anxious attachment. And, and, uh, and the funny thing was is, you know, she took a little time off. And then she calls me up. Uh, and we did the work. She goes, I'm in this wonderful relationship. And she goes, I didn't even have to think about it. It's just different. It's just better. I said, that's because your brain has different feelings now. <clears throat> Use different feelings. Found a man who gave you better, better feelings back. Yeah. That's the work. Wow. Yeah, it, it's very, very powerful. I, I couldn't believe how much great content was in this book safe to love again. Do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Uh, bullying? Yes. Bullying. Uh, well, you sometimes you get uh, a lot of uh, bullying happens in marriages all the time. It's of just course. not, it's not like the fourth in the fourth grade, the big guy coming up. No, right? no, exactly. It, it happens all the time. I mean, like I've had, um, uh, I had one couple that I, I worked with in which he made a lot of money and she was an entrepreneur. And when she got pregnant, you can't run a business when you're, you know, and she, her income fell. And he was, you know, and I've seen this in three or four times and he's making a lot of money. And he says, well, you're, you're an economic liability. Now. Oh, nice. So, now what woman wants, that's bullying. Yeah. That's cruel. You know, and, and, um, we and we did, uh, you know, that took a little bit. I had to say, you know, I love. I had to be very straightforward with him. That's uh, there's not not only there's no cherishing there, but you can't put a price tag on what she's giving you. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly. And, what, and and turns out, uh, you know, that was the safest place to be <laughs> in his childhood. You know, and we had to get him safe to belong. Right. That was the part of him that couldn't belong. Oh my God, am I belonging? I got a family coming. I got to pull away. Let's do a little bullying like we did as a child. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it is about mindfulness. Now, in all of these, I mean, meditation helps greatly. Uh, I wanted to say it in the book, but I took these chapters out because I needed, I couldn't get, publish a 350 page book. But uh, a, a love needs a calm brain. And we know that meditation, with as early as three hours, you can start seeing that meditation will start thickening two parts of your brain. Um, the fancy terms are uh, you know, um, your ACG and your insula. 
Now these, you know, these these two parts of your brain are all about emotional connection to body with others. There's mirror neurons being, and uh, if you can thicken them, then your brain has longer chances. I mean, longer lapses between when you get in a reactive state. It gives you the ability to choose. It calms your brain. Your ACG is your uh, emotional gear shifter. It slows it down. So the part of you that wanted to say that snarky thing or wanted to withdraw, I wanted to do that mean thing, says, no, no, there's a more loving way. So the more we meditate, uh, that's one way of helping us because these four feelings need a calm brain. Reactive states are their natural enemy. <laughs> so what I like about meditation is we know that uh, with just as regular meditation, just too much, you can thicken these two parts of the, your brain so that your brain has more chance to, to, to not react, but to simply respond. And that's the key. So if we want to give these feelings, and some part of us is prone to always getting triggered, meditation is one way of helping us staying out of triggered states so we can stay in treasured states. And tell us about your meditation. Do you meditate every day? Uh, I meditate about five times. Uh, there's a part of me <laughs> about five times a week. There's a part of me that one day of the week when I'm really tired, I just I don't want anything on my schedule. Yeah. But about five times a week, uh, I like doing 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, I usually do it at night at the end of my day. You know, I just in fact, I just went to wisdom 2.0 just to chill and be in that grounded space. Jack Cornfield and everybody, yeah. you know. It was my way of, of celebrating the end of the uh, of, of the book launch that week. And I said, I'm going to go and meditate and reground myself, right? Because um, I can't say the two weeks before the book launch with all the stuff that was the most grounded time in my life. Right. Yeah, And, you know, I, I like getting in front of my, I turn on the candles. I have a little Buddha there. Yeah. And I have an angel uh, also, uh, a statue. And I just, and... Um, I like meditating and just letting, getting, turning inside, letting myself calm. It even lets me sleep better. Occasionally I'll do it in the morning, but most time I'm, a, I'm an e evening meditator. And uh, uh, I've been doing it since about 2013. And, and um, it's a, and sometimes I'll just, uh, you know, following, uh, you know, Oprah and Deepak, Every yes. once in a while, I'll, use, I'll turn on one of their little things, and I'll and I'll and I'll just turn on one of his little things and go, okay, I'll just I'll just meditate on this idea, you know. But most time, I just uh, it's a way of calming and going inside, turning off the chatter. And, and as we well know, with these cell phones chattering at us the whole time, yes, it, it's a meditation is at a premium these days. And uh, like I said, it will calm your brain, and a calm brain is what the brain is what lasting, loving relationships need. In fact, we know that reactive states predict uh, a, a host of reactive states in everything will predict marital demise with ninety four percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, you can get that book on Amazon, Safe to Love Again, or you can go to Dr. Gary's website, GarySalyer.com. Cool. 
So that's S-A-L-Y-E-R, GarySalyer.com. Check it out. And if you get the book, you'll notice that Dr. Gary is also telling you that he has online resources for you as well to supplement what he offers in the book. So that's fantastic. As we finish up the interview, Dr. Gary, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Dan Siegel. The moment I saw that connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's calmed me down. And uh, I can be a type A, so that's a good thing. (laughs) Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing is how I reset my system. It tells me I can be safe with something. So, And it helps me get into my body. And that's the one thing I wasn't allowed as a child. So uh, it's a wonderful reminder that my body is my partner. If you could recommend a book other than your book, Safe to Love Again, which is related to mindfulness, what would that be? It would be Marshall Lucas, uh, Rewire Your Brain for Love. Uh, It's a book written by a neuroscientist who's really heavy into meditation. And it's all about how meditation uh, calms our brain. Uh, And some of these ideas about the calm brain. I I first got that idea years ago when I read her book. It's a great book. Love it. I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Can you share an app that can help people with mindfulness? Uh, Oh, gosh. I don't use apps for this that much. I know I do Oprah and and Deepak. Well, that's Uh, sort of, yeah, that's an app, really. Yeah, that's an app. I have Oprah and Deepak that I'd like to use. Uh, They have different ones, and I, I just like what they do. Yeah, I do too. I I enjoy them as well sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like when you need a change of pace. For sure. It's like a menu. You don't want to do the same thing all the time. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Gary. I really enjoyed our chat. And listeners, you know, get your hands on this book. It's very powerful, very helpful. I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you again for being with us today, Dr. Gary. Well, thank you. Uh, it is a privilege and uh, you have such a, and I love what you're doing. This mindfulness is the way of the future. We're going to become more conscious as a species and more loving. I truly believe mindfulness is a practice that we all need to do more and more. Thank you so much. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. 
So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.